Well, praise the Lord. Give Jesus another big hand this morning. He's worthy of our praise. And doesn't our worship team do a great job? Thank these guys, too, those on stage and those in the back with the technology. You may be seated. Well, the question of the day is, is everybody happy, happy, happy? We've been doing a sermon series kind of on Duck Dynasty, but we're using that as a launching pad to talk to you about healthy relationships, how to have healthy, strong relationships. I mean, they're turning the world upside down as people are just watching this family that gets along, that loves each other, come on, and people, I think, are attracted to that. Uh, first couple weeks, we talked about the golden rule. Without a doubt, the greatest principle in the history of the world about how to get along with people, the golden rule, treat people the way you want to be treated. The last time I shared with you, I talked about how to fix a broken relationship. Of course, all this is online. We've got phone apps. But you admit it, you quit it, and then do what? You forget it. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about how to have lifelong relationships. Now, you're not going to have a lifelong relationship with everybody, okay? But there are key people, your family, uh, key people in your church family, key relationships that you'll have a lifetime. It's a covenant that you have. That's the key word. And uh, I want to show you a little video clip that illustrates this when Phil and Miss Kay renew their wedding vows, and then we'll be in the Bible together. Happy, 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 happy. Happy, happy, happy. Be happy, happy, happy. She's going to be happy, happy. Happy, happy, happy. Happy, happy, happy. Happy, happy, happy. Happy, happy, happy. We're happy, happy, happy. Everybody happy, happy, happy. Well, we've hauled a lot of fish up this bank. We played baseball under these trees. Sai shot a few squirrels out of them as well. We all got baptized in the creek back here behind me. And now here we are, almost 50 years after you two guys got together, uh, having the wedding that you never had with four generations of Robertsons looking on. I'd say this is the perfect spot. Lord of the Rings. Hey, ain't no big thing. <laughs> well, I don't even know where to start. The first thing I'd say is, from the time I was 14 years old, I loved you. And we've been through some good times and some hard times. I loved you when we were poor and you were not so nice. Now you're really nice and kind. And all I can say about that is, I'm not going anywhere. That's good to know. I will love you forever. Let's see, Miss Kay. We've been running together since we were teenagers. The old blue Chevrolet, side in the back. You have cooked me many a good meal. From your loins came four healthy, godly men. You are my best friend, and I love you dearly. And I'm going to be with you for the long haul until they put me in the ground. Good? Perfect. I'm sorry to say I didn't have that when we first married. Oh, it's okay. Our marriage is living proof that love and family can get you through anything. Well, there you go. Now, listen to their vows. I'm not going anywhere. I'll love you forever. I'm going to be with you till they put me in the ground. Now, this is how people think and talk that are in a covenant relationship for life. I mean, no, you can't base your relationship on are you just happy or things going well because let me tell you what, things change in life. But a covenant commitment, 
keeps you stable. A covenant commitment helps you work through the difficult times and enjoy the great times. It's what's missing in America today. And this is a message about the level of commitment you have with different people. If you can imagine a continuum, on this side is just, it's very, very shallow commitments. They're come, they're gone in a day or in a moment. Over here, you've got a commitment that lasts a lifetime. And there's not that many that you'll have over here. The closer you get to this edge of the spectrum, the fewer people are in that circle. But in this circle, there's going to be some key people like a Jonathan and David. We'll talk about them from the Bible today. There'll be key relationships in your church family, key relationships in your family, a husband, a wife, their kids. These are covenant, and I've entitled this Lifelong Relationships. Let's explore it together. I'm going to use David and Jonathan as an example, and uh, we're going to follow them in the covenant relationship they had, and you're going to be able to apply it to your life. And I promise you, whether you're young or old, married, single, this will help you today. 1 Samuel chapter 18 is where we're going, because a covenant relationship can last a lifetime. Now, let me tell you the, big, uh, the characters in the story. You've got Saul, who is the king. These are the books of First and Second Samuel. Saul was the first king that Israel had. He started out good but ended up in a ditch. God replaced him with another king. His name was David. He was arguably the greatest king that the nation of Israel ever had. The nation catapulted under his leadership. Saul had a son whose name was Jonathan. And Jonathan was in line for the throne as the oldest son. But something happened, and it's called a covenant between them. Let's explore it together. 1 Samuel 18, verse 1. Now, David has just knocked out Goliath. Everybody's heard the story of David and Goliath. So, he, you know, he's on the rise, and, and, and everybody knows there's a grace on his life. Well, notice the words. As soon as he'd finished speaking to Saul, David, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Other translations say they became best friends. There's zero sexual reference in this. But it was a serious, mutual commitment between these men. They became sworn brothers for life. So because of this God-ordained relationship, notice verse 3. It said, then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Now what does that mean? Because that's the key word today. A covenant is simply, it's an agreement, it's a promise that two people make, that we're going to do something or not do something. Uh, Miss Kay and Phil said, I'm going to be with you for the rest of my life. That's a covenant. It's a promise that we make. It's serious. Um, it's a treaty. It's a vow. Uh, I grew up with Clint Eastwood, and there was a movie called The Outlaw Josie Wales. How many of you ever seen that? I mean, you know, he's a Civil War guy, and the kill is... I mean, it's, it's a guy's kind of movie. Well, anyway, towards the end of the movie, he's got this ragtag band, and they've ended up in Indian territory, and they know that they're going to bump heads with the Indians. So Clint gets on his horse one morning, and he goes out, rides out to the middle of the Indian camp, and he just kind of, and, and he finds the chief, and they look at each other, and they've both had a hard life, and they've killed people, and they look at each other, and they know we can't live together if we don't get along. One of us is going to have to die unless we make a covenant that we're going to get along, that I'm going to respect you, you're going to respect me, I'm not going to kill any more than I can eat. You know how it goes. So they took a knife. And they put their hands together and they became what? Blood brothers. It sealed the covenant. How many of you have ever had a, a spit and a handshake? You know what that is? That's the light version of the blood covenant. Let's say uh, my duck hunting buddy here. Okay, we're duck hunting buddies. Um, now look, we're not going to tell anybody about this spot, okay? We got a limit and we got in about 20 minutes, so nobody knows, right? Right. 
So you don't get on Facebook. Now, you can get on Facebook, and you can show your ducks and brag a little bit. Come on. But you don't say exactly, and here's the pen that I dropped, how to kill more of these. You just don't do that. You know what I mean? Somebody asks you and say, well, that's my business. That's private. I'm not quite sure. I don't remember. I'm getting old. It's eluded me. <laughs> Most relationships, though, are not like that. Most relationships are casual. For example, uh, I do a mentoring breakfast with some college-age young people. I, I, really, it's one of the most enjoyable things that I do. It's, we're doing it over Cracker Barrel right now. They've got a big table, and it's quiet. And uh, anyway, there's a lady. Her name's Miss Carol, and she's the hostess. Sweet as she can be, nice lady, knows me by name when I come in, asks me about my wife. But let me tell you what. The reason I go to Cracker Barrel is because they have a great omelet and the best hash brown casserole on this side of heaven. How many can say amen to that? So, so the reason I go to Cracker Barrel is for that omelet. Now, how many know if they start cooking bad omelets? Now, I like Miss Carol, but we have a conditional relationship on the quality and the cost of that omelet. If you have an investment advisor, what's the, what's the, uh, the mutual agreement you have? You're going to make me some money. As long as you do, we're buds. But if you stop making money for me, I'm out of here. I've picked up a little paraphernalia here. It's, it's, you can't see it, I don't think, really close, but you'll get the idea. It says, I heart my BFF. <laughs> Who knows what a BFF is? Best friends forever. Now, I've got two girls, which means I have a house full of this kind of stuff. I've got little bracelets, necklaces that fit together. I've got bracelets. I mean, they're all kinds of stuff. But here's the deal with the BFF. Today's BFF may be tomorrow's IHY. I hate you. Because you talked to my boyfriend on Facebook. BFFs typically with this little guy are conditional relationships. Now listen, kids feel the love, you know, but how many know the feeling of love is not enough? When you, t when you cross the line, come on, then we're not BFFs. This little circle is different. This one I've been wearing for 30 years. I put it on on <laughs> April 9th, 1983. And it's different. Now, I forgot it sometimes, you know, because if you're working out equipment, you know, I might have left it at home, but, but I, don't, I hadn't done that. Never done that. But you do a lot of that. Let's talk about the difference. Now, there's three, I'm going to call them God-ordained relationships that, that this covenant applies to. There's, there's three types of people. One is, you're going to have people in your life that are Jonathan and David kind of people. Uh, they're just, that's who they are. Uh, and you're going to make a commitment. For example, Penny Hiller. If you know Penny, she's been a missionary in our church for years. She was a school teacher. Uh, she got divorced after uh, uh, the Iraqi war, showed up at our church. God turned her life around, and she felt to take the, take the gospel to the entire world through the language of English. So she took her school background, and she goes all over the world teaching people uh, uh, how to read English by using Bible-based materials. She puts it in the hands of underground churches. It's just tremendous what she's done. I told her years ago, now, she's a single lady. I said, Penny, if you ever get anywhere in the world and you get in trouble and you need help, you cannot get out, you call me and I will help you. Now, as long as I'm able. Don't call me if you get a good deal on wholesale diamonds, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if you get in trouble, if you need some help, if there's a crisis, I'll stand with you. I made a covenant to her. We didn't spit, 
But in my heart, I knew that I had made a significant commitment to her. So that's one type group you can apply this to. You'll have those people. The second is family. Now, uh, this, uh, the first of the Ten Commandments says this. It's quoted in Ephesians. It says, children, honor your mother and father. Honor your mother and father. And the promise is that your days may be long on the earth. But can you imagine the first thing God would say to the whole nation of Israel had nothing to do with heaven, nothing to do with rules, nothing to do with nothing, but your family, and it's a covenant relationship. So this is husbands and wives. It's brothers and sisters. And God is concerned about this. I had a young man tell me just this week, he said, uh, he said I hadn't talked to my dad in five years. My dad left us when we were young. My, they got divorced, and, and he's pretty much ignored me. But I became a Christian. I'm going to share his story with you one day. We're going to record it. That's another changed life. But he said, I became a Christian, and God encouraged me. On this Father's Day, I reached out to my dad, and now we're getting together. Why is that? Because it's a covenant. Listen, I, if I take a different restaurant, I don't know what's going to happen to Miss Carol unless she starts coming to church. But how many know a son and a father? That's the second time you can apply this is to family. But the third one is is, uh, it applies to the people that are in this room. Now, how many know the church is not the building? How many know we the people are the church? Just look around a little bit at you here. I mean, th th this, this is the church you're looking at. And it's a little uncomfortable to look around at people that you don't know. But listen to what the Bible says about this unique group called the body of Christ. First Timothy 5 Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would your own father. Treat older women as you would your mother. Treat younger women as you would your, your sister. And somewhere in there, the younger men is a brother. So, so the, people, the people around you, they're to be treated as a, as a, a family. Now, and let me say this too. As a pastor, I love everybody. I try to go out and to be loving when I hear that there's a problem. Somehow through our network, we want to help you. But there's different levels in this covenant thing that we have. Uh, let me kind of illustrate it this way. If you go to the movie, uh, where do you sit? For example, if, you, if this was a movie theater and you walked in today and uh, you kind of liked a middle-of-the-way seat, you'd probably sit over here somewhere because there's a group of chairs and nobody's there. And it, the only time you'd say something to somebody in the theater that you didn't know might be, excuse me, excuse me, turn your cell phone off. You know, that's probably all you'd say to anybody. When it's over, you wouldn't say anything. You'd just go. Because you're people that are disconnected coming together to watch something on film and pay an arm and a leg to get it. But anyway, imagine what would happen if, if, if the movies were something like this. Hey, guys, what's up? John? Jack. Jack? Jason. Hey, nice to meet you. What's the f first thing goes through your head? Don't say it. <laughs> but after the movie, man, wasn't that the greatest movie? I'm coming back. Hey, give me, give me your phone number, and I'm going to text you and make sure you're here next time when I hear this, this when Brad Pitt's going to be in another movie. I'm going to let you know because, I mean, it's just awesome, wasn't it? Hey, hey, we'll pick up all the popcorn as we go. Listen, we care about this movie theater, right? Okay, guys. Hey, 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 listen to me. Pick up all your popcorn. We care about this place. Hey, has anybody seen the manager yet? I'm going to go and I'm going to shake his hand because just letting us come here to this fine theater. What would happen to you? The police would be called. Because they think you're one of those dudes from Colorado, come on, that's fixing to pull the gun. This is not what you do. 
Somehow culture has made us consumers like that. And we bring that into the church. Somewhere in this thing, we're supposed to be mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. Now, last night we cooked hamburgers, free hamburgers on Saturday night. Today they're doing the missions meal. Well, why did we do that? Well, you just want to make some money off people. They're probably going to charge $10. (laughs) Hamburgers were free last night. You can eat for nothing or you can give $100 for the Mexican food. We do it to help you connect with friends. Because we don't want you to just come and get a sermon and a song and go back to your life. We want you to somehow experience the body of Christ. Now, that's a third relationship that this is going to apply to. Okay, so we got key people, David and Jonathan. We got family, and we got church family. So let's go back now to David and Jonathan. And I want to give you four lessons from the way they behaved. And what you're going to see, covenant is not about feeling. It's about choices and decisions. Here's the first one. A covenant relationship will cost me something. A covenant relationship will cost me. I'm going to have to give up some of my rights. Now, let's read 1 Samuel chapter 18. Again, now, uh, same place where we were just a moment ago. David uh, is, is recognized he's going to be the king. Saul's on the way out. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And notice what he did. Here's the point. It's going to cost you something. He stripped himself of the robe that was on him, and he gave it to David. He gave him his armor his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now, what's the message? Jonathan was in line for the throne. He was the natural person to be there. But David was the guy that God was going to choose. Are you with me now? So when he gave him his robe, it was not because he was cold. It was a symbolic act that God has put us together, and I'm going to give you something that symbolizes the nature of that. Now, let's draw a parallel, and let's think about marriage. Christian marriage, Ephesians 5, is, is, is the most panoramic picture of marriage in the whole New Testament. But I wish it weren't there. Because it asks some things of husbands and wives that, that, that we may not like. Listen to what it says, Ephesians 5, and this is just a portion of it. It says, verse 25, Husbands, say it with me, love your wives, but it didn't stop. Husbands, love your wives. Sure, man. No, as Christ loved the church. Now, that's a big deal. Jesus was not Archie Bunker. Come on. Jesus, Jesus was not, deme- you know, demanding stuff. Jesus was not making everybody cook his meals and clean up after him and all that. Jesus put a towel around his waist, and he washed the disciples' feet. T- to me, the starting place for healthy marriage rests on the, on, on the husband. If, listen, guys, if you will love your wife as Christ loved the church, your marriage can be healed and a good marriage can be better. Selfishness will kill it. But he doesn't say there. I mean, I wish that weren't there. And I guarantee you the women wish this next verse weren't there. Verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Now, it doesn't mean he's the boss. It doesn't mean that he's smarter. It doesn't mean that he knows more, makes better decisions, and blah, blah, blah. I can tell you from experience... Most women are smarter than the guys, but it's not what it's talking about. The basis is not performance. He said, as the church submits to Christ, wives should submit to their husbands in everything. It would take an hour to explain all that to make sure nobody was, uh, got offended. But, but let me say this. Saying out loud that a wife, not a woman should submit to every man, but she should submit to her husband, that is, yield her will, 
to honor him, to respect him, is like me, a white guy, getting on the radio and using the N-word. How many know if I put that out there, if I did a little TV spot, I'm telling you the phones would be burning up, be calling for my head in culture. Well, this is the same way. So here's my question to you. Why would I do that as a husband? Why would I love my wife that way? Why as a wife would I pay that price? Cost me something. Let me suggest this is the reason. It's not just because of the two of you, but it's because you're in covenant with Jesus. And if you'll read that passage, it says that marriage on earth, in essence, is like the relationship between the body of Christ and Christ his bride. The husband is supposed to be like Christ. The wife is supposed to be like the bride of Christ. So your marriage, as you love your wife in this fashion, it's a testimony to the world of this is what God has for his people. This is how God loves his people. But I'm telling you, there's a cost in it. Now, how many know it's easy to be covenant when you got a breath net in your mouth, come on, and when you got money in your pocket and a smile on your face and you still got the eight-pack or six-pack going, you know what I mean? I don't mean the beer. I'm talking about, but when life changes a little bit, it's harder to pay a price. But I'm telling you, it's the nature of covenant and it's worth it. A covenant commitment will keep you together through the difficult times so you don't become a statistic. Because every one of us in this room knows the pain. My parents were divorced when I was 21. I live with the effects of that today, and I love them both. But there's something about a covenant commitment that will keep people together. Now, we're going to explore that more in another message. But let me go to the second point. People in a covenant relationship, and you have to stay with me on this one, find God's will for the relationship, and they do it. They're looking for not only my relationship with you, but where is God in the middle of this thing? 1 Samuel 18, 4. Now, again, Jonathan takes off his robe and he gives it to David. Now, here's the question. Why did he do that? I'll tell you why. Five chapters earlier, God told Saul, your kingdom is going to end. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you've not kept the Lord's command. So who was he talking about? David. Mind you now, Saul is the king. Jonathan is by inheritance. He is due that position when daddy dies. It's just like you and your dad have a business together. He's the president. You're the vice president. It's just as soon when he dies, you, you run with the ball. Now, here's the lesson. Let me say it again. I'll illustrate it. People in a covenant relationship find God's will for the relationship, and they do it. Let me tell you how I got to Texarkana. I was 33 years of age. got a call from Pastor Kennedy. wanted me to come and preach here. I was in Palestine, Texas, not looking for a place to go. I'm driving from Palestine down Highway 155 from Tyler. There's a second bridge. I can, I can point it out when I go across it. And, and there was water, and, and I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. I want you to go to this church. I hadn't been here. I hadn't seen anything. I said, okay. So I come and I preach. That night, I meet the pastor. Great guy, driving a Mercedes. I'm 33 in a 10-year-old Honda, okay? I'm thinking, there could be some improvements in my life going on here. Then we got a pizza. And he lived in Dogwood Estates. Nice place. I'm thinking, okay. Well, I get here, and guess what I find out? The church is broke. 
Now, I had asked them, because I had a 10-year-old Honda, I said, you know, it would probably help my kind of looks a little bit if you give me a car and make that a part of my, my little package there. So they leased a car, a nice little Oldsmobile that was in back then. And I got here, and I realized the church was broken. I said, keep the car, cancel it. My wife said, I'll work for nothing, and we'll pay our own health insurance. Now, why did we do that? Because we're in a covenant with God, and God told us to make a covenant with the people, come on, in this church and in this city. So if you're a covenant person with God and God directs you in relationship to other people, you say, why do you stay? Okay? I stay because God told me to come and he hadn't told me to leave. Now, I really appreciate the kind things that we do and our church is much, much healthier financially now. We don't, we're, we're debt free. We don't owe anything. Doing good. God is good. But I don't stay because of that. I stay because in the covenant, come on, God said go and that's what you do. That's a big one. Let me give you another one. Uh, Covenant commitments remain strong over time. Now, this is a little complicated. You can stay with me on this. Covenant commitments remain strong over time. Um, you're going to see in just a second when I paint this picture that David honored his covenant with Jonathan even after Jonathan died. Here's the story. 2 Samuel chapter 21. Now we're much further ahead in the book. David's been king a long time. And he's made some mistakes. He made the mistake with Bathsheba. The rebellion with Absalom came up and all that. So things were not good. But, but he's in a fairly good place. But if you read the first of the 21st chapter, it says this. There's a famine in the land. Now, they don't eat at Walmart. There's trouble. There's a famine that's going on in the land here. We got real problems. And as he inquires of the Lord, he said, Saul broke covenant with the Gibeonites. Now, stay with me. You remember in Joshua... Decades and decades earlier, several hundred years, Joshua coming into the promised land after Moses dies, and he destroys all the pagan cities because they're protecting God's holiness. Well, the Gibeonites had a city nearby, and remember their deception? They came up to Joshua, and they had old clothes on, and they had moldy bread. And they said, when we left home, this stuff was all brand new, but it took us so long to get here. So Joshua said, okay, and they made a covenant that they wouldn't kill these people. And the next day, they found out that these guys were lying to us. But still, they honored the covenant. Now we go ahead, decades or hundreds of years, long time, and Saul is on the scene. Guess what Saul did? He broke the covenant with the Gibeonites. He treated them in an inferior fashion. And the Bible will tell us that's the reason for the famine. Now, I don't understand why, but let me tell you what happened. Uh, David goes to the Gibeonites and said, how can we make this thing right? And they said, we want you to give us seven of Saul's sons, and they're going to have to give their life. We're going to kill them. You may not like it, but it's in the Bible. We're going to kill them to atone for the sin of Saul. Now, there's a guy named Mephibosheth. Have you ever heard of him? Guess whose son he is. He's Jonathan's son. So now the Bible records, the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, because of the oath. David spared the son of a man who's dead that he made a covenant with. Everybody say, because of the oath. Because of the promise. Because of the vow. Because of the covenant between, the covenant of the Lord between David and Jonathan. Now, you remember uh, Phil and Miss Kay's vows that we saw, their wedding vows? Remember they said, I'm not going anywhere. I'll love you forever. I'll be with you till they put me in the ground. I, I read this, this Fox News did a story on modern-day wedding vows. 
Remember modern day wedding vows? Okay, vows used to be, uh, they'd have this phrase. They'll say something like, till death do us part. And here's what's popular in America today. Uh, my wedding vow is, as long as we continue to love each other. So, as long as love will last, I'll be committed. In other words, as long as the feeling is there, as long, whatever. Now, here's my favorite of this craziness. Uh, until our time together is over. Imagine you're in Maui. The waves are gently touching your feet. You're both barefooted. You're standing with whoever's doing the ceremony. And as the waves are coming in and the guitar music is playing in the background, you look at them. I'm going to be married you. My vow to you this day is until our time together is over. Which means as long as you keep that six-pack, I'll be with you. As long as you continue to make lots of money, you're mine. I'll hang on to you, baby, until you sag. That's what they're saying. Brad Pitt. Now, I like Brad Pitt. I wish I was his pastor. He was asked, remember, he was divorced from Jennifer Aniston. I could have helped him, okay? He was asked about this, and he said he doesn't consider his, uh, his marriage to her a failure. He said, I see it as a total success. I was married to her five more years than I made it with anybody else. If he'd have done pre-marriage counseling with me, we'd have gone over these vows. And I said, Brett, now look, on that day, you're going to make a promise to God. We're standing here in church. Unfortunately, there's no water on the feet. It's just me and, the, me and the church building. Do you, Brad, take Jennifer, whom you now hold by the hand as your true and lawful wife? And God helping you, will you love, cherish, honor, and protect her, committing yourself to her and her alone until God by death shall separate you? Brad, say it loud. We can hear. I do. Do you, Brad, enter into a covenant today before God and these people that you will, number one, love her, with the same selfless love that Christ has for the church. That you will assume your God-given role as the spiritual leader of your home. That you will provide for her needs and her wants as God enables you. That you will openly and honestly share with her your feelings, your dreams, and your concerns. That you, Brad, will never give your heart to another person. But you'll always protect her, always trust her, always hope for the best for your family, and not give up when difficulties arise. Do you, Brad, agree to live in accordance with the vows of this marriage covenant? Do. He'd be married today. It's a difference. Okay, I preached a little better than you amen on that one. But covenant commitments remain strong over time. Let me give you the last one. Covenant relationships demand tough choices. Now, I want you to imagine the tension... Jonathan feels because his daddy, Saul, wants one thing and his covenant buddy, David, wants another. And a son and a friend is in the middle. Saul's trying to kill David because he's jealous. And one, one scripture here, it said, Should it please my father to do you harm? In other words, David, if my dad is going to hurt you, then the Lord do so to me and more if I don't disclose it to you and send you away so you can be safe. May the Lord be with you as he's been with my father. Now, I want you to think about this. Here you've got a son. The Bible says, honor your father and mother. But here you've got a covenant relationship, and you're in the middle. What are you going to do? Now, let me give you a scripture from Jesus, and then we'll wrap this up. 
In Luke 14, Jesus said these words that I wish weren't in the Bible, but they are. He said, if anyone comes to me but loves his father, mother, wife, wife, children, brothers or sisters, or even your life more than me. Now, many translations say if you don't hate your mother, your father. Now, it's not telling you little hatred as we understand it where you forget about him. I mean, no, he's not going to contradict the first commandment. But what it means is a relative sense. In other words, if your love for your, 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 your wife or your parents is this high and it's the, most, the greatest, strongest love you have, your love for God needs to be up here. It doesn't mean you do this to your parents. It means you, do, you continue doing this to them, but God keeps going higher and higher and higher. Now, let me tell you how this works out. Many moons ago, I'm 23, okay? I know I look like I'm probably 33, but I'm not. But it's been a long... See, you missed a chance. This whole pastor appreciation thing, you could have said, you look 33, pastor. You're lying in church now. Anyway, I'm 23. My life's turned around. I was a worldly guy when I went in the Navy. I mean, I was worldly. And I got out, and I was living for God. And now I, I kind of knew what I wanted to do with my life, but I felt God calling me in the ministry. And I knew it was God. The only problem was, what do I do after I get in the, out of the Navy? Now, I had lived in California, didn't like it at all. I was there probably two years, and I sat under the, the spiritual covering of my wife's dad, uh, Pastor Kenneth Tracy. We have him every, every November. He was my spiritual father for a couple years, and that was back during the Jesus movement. I mean, people on fire for God, going in the ministry, and he had a burden for training young ministers. And uh, my dilemma was this. I loved my father in Mississippi, my, my natural father, but a spiritual father was in California, and I couldn't be in both places. And I had to make a choice. It's a tension. Remember the point I'm trying to make? That when you're in a covenant relationship, sometimes you're going to have to make a difficult choice. But I knew what God was calling me to do. God was calling me to be trained in California. And I remember I went back to my dad. We were farming. And uh, uh, somehow the conversation was about what I was going to do in the future. And I got quiet. And he said, you bought a round-trip ticket to California when you came back, didn't you? And I said, yes, sir, I did. I didn't want to go to California. But God wanted me to. Are you with me? Now, it didn't hurt that my wife was still out there. My future wife was still out there. But still, it was a God thing. It was hard. Last week, I was not with you. I went to Mississippi and spent a little time with them. I like to go in the spring when they're planting and the fall when they're harvesting. And, of course, I go and I touch my roots. It's fun. It's kind of, you know, a chance to de-stress. Uh, Dad would come by at 7.30, pick me up, and I'm on the tractor at uh, 8 o'clock in the morning, and I get off at 7 o'clock at night. And uh, uh, um, I had about a 15 minutes for a cold hamburger every day. So you say, why would you do that, Pastor? I think it's penance, too, is part of it. And I'm being serious. Because I feel at some part of me that I abandoned. Are you with me? Because they couldn't understand. They were not spiritually at the same place they are today. But sometimes in a covenant relationship, first with God and then with people, you got a tough choice to make. But can I tell you what? You'll never regret it. You may regret it for the moment, but God's not out to hurt you. I mean, no, he's a good God, and he's out to help us, and he'll never lead us in a ditch. Give him a big hand, and I'm, I'm done today. Let, let, let me close with this scripture. It's 1 Corinthians 14, and I want you to think about what biblical love is. Biblical love is, is God's super glue that makes a covenant relationship last. Now, stay with me on this. 
How many of you ever glued your fingers together by an accident with super glue? Yeah. Okay, I'll tell you what. Would you guys like to make a covenant just to illustrate this here, how this works? Can you get them on camera shaking their head that they don't desire to be in covenant with one another? All right. Let, let, let me tell you what super glue is, God's super glue. It's something that God calls love that's very different than what we call love. Most people, when they say they love you, it's a conditional aspect to it. When the coach tells his team he loves them, well, he loves them because they played real hard during the year. Come on, they follow the rules and they didn't quit the two-a-days. Oh, when, when, when a guy tells you, oh, I just love you, it could, it could possibly mean that he'd just like to have sex with you, okay? I'm not sure, but probably 99% of the time that, that, that may be what he's communicating. What does God mean when he says love is? Now, I want you to think about the feeling part of it and the action and commitment part of it. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. Now, why in the world? Why couldn't it be love is, you know, hot or whatever? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy and it does not boast. Love is not proud. Love does not dishonor others, and it's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. Now listen to this. Love always protects, always trusts. Penny in trouble, wife in trouble, always hopes, always perseveres. And say this with me. Love never fails. It's a commitment. It's a covenant commitment, and the feelings will often follow after that. Now, let me close with a story. Um, your covenant's going to be tested. Your love with someone's going to be tested in life. But when your relationship is tested, I'm telling you, friends, it's your covenant commitment that will keep you in those significant relationships. I'll never forget last November, uh, my wife had had her annual mammogram, and and she went in, and they said that we'd like to do another one. I mean, no, that's rarely good. Sometimes it turns out okay, praise the Lord. After the second one, her gynecologist calls her and said, uh, you need to come in. Now, how many know when, you got, when your doctor calls you for an unscheduled appointment after a test, it's probably not gonna be, he's probably not going to invite you to lunch. And doctors, because of the nature of what they do, they've got to be arm length. But I've never sat in a chair, and the first words out of a person's mouth is, you have cancer. So we're sitting in there. What does that mean? Well, I'm not sure. Uh, does that mean she's going to have surgery? Probably. Uh, chemo? Probably. Maybe. I don't know. Ra radiation? I, I just, I, I don't know. I want to send you to a specialist. So I don't know how long we stayed with him. I couldn't tell you if it was five minutes or five hours. Uh, but I remember leaving, walked down the hall. It's probably 10, 15 steps, and, and the nurses, they all knew. But it, it was almost like a silent salute from the nurses. It's like a funeral procession and cars stop on the side of the road. And, you know, they were kind. And my mind starts thinking, is my wife going to die? Who's going to raise my children? What's this going to cost? We're walking about 10 more steps out the front door. Well, what happens when you have a mastectomy? What's she going to look like? What if it's both breasts? 
but if it's somewhere else in her body, what's she going to look like? Now, I may be old, but looks still matter to me, you understand? And now, this is not a rational thought in my mind. I mean, there's just like ricocheting all over. But as soon as we get away from the people out in the parking lot, I put my arms around her, and I say, Honey, you're more than a boo. Dot com. No. I said, You're more than just a boob, honey. Now, why did I do that? After all these thoughts about what I could possibly lose and not have. On August 9th, 1983, I made some vows to Linnell. I was in a church in California. My dad, my mom, all my family was there, and we were all crying. And I was making a commitment to a little 21, 22-year-old girl. And it's the commitment that causes you to forget about the feelings. And it says, baby, I'm with you for life. It's a covenant, and that's what love is. And you direct that kind of love to the right people, it'll come back to you. And I'm telling you, life doesn't get any better than that. Give the Lord a good hand today, and I'm, I'm done. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to sing a song one time and offer for prayer, and then hopefully you'll stay for some Mexican food. But I want you to just close your eyes just a moment as we sing and, and ask God this question. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What does this mean to me about my life?